Hey friends, welcome to episode 14 of Sprouting in STEM, the podcast about young people in science. I'm Audrey Farrell. I am Matthew Murphy. And this week we talk about communicating science, whether you're reading it, writing it, or just listening to it. Um, so I hope you enjoy. Yeah, that's fine. Woo! Good enough. One, one take. We got it in one take last time. It just took 40 minutes. <laughs> to take that take. Look. Yes. I got sent wholesome animal content on Twitter, and I wanted to look at the comments. <laughs> and so, now I have a Twitter, and I'm really scared. Why are you scared? It's overwhelming. It's its own whole thing that I'm, like, not equipped to. I feel like it's like Facebook. Like, I wouldn't join Facebook now. The only reason I have a Facebook is because I've been on it for years. Yeah, it's a whole universe. Yeah, so Twitter's the same way. I feel like I'm coming in at the end of a party and I know no one. I'm like, hello, God. I'm just here for animals. Do you know Brother Nature? No. You'd like him. He's a... Uh, I don't know if he started on Twitter, but he's pretty active and popular on Twitter, and he's just really good with animals. I like animals. And he's just really, like liked by animals to the point where he just he's just welcomed by them <laughs> i don't know how to describe it he's just uh, an honorary member of the animal kingdom yeah essentially so if i had to suggest one that's a goal twitter page it'd be brother nature can i like become animal yeah. person be uh uh chris mccandless you ever Oh, it's from a story. Oh. From a true story, actually. About this kid who essentially dropped out of college, mm-hmm. ditched all of his parents' money, and just, you know, became one with nature. Parents having money, what a concept. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, um, I want a dog so bad that I think about it daily and it hurts me. <laughs> That you don't have one? Yeah. I Like, I'm not, I can't responsibly own a dog right now, and I'm not entirely sure when I will be in a place where I can. Yeah. And it is so upsetting to me, because I would be so much happier if there was a dog in my life on the daily. There's just not. What if you got a stuffed dog? It's not the same. No? It's like plants. Like. <laughs> They're just there. They don't do anything. No, 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 no. Like, okay, there's a hierarchy of things that you can nurture, right? Yeah. That will make you feel fulfilled as a human being. Stuffed animals aren't even on the list. Plants are next because they mm-hmm. are living things and I'm invested in their well-being. And if they're dying, I feel horrible. And if they're thriving, I feel responsible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel great. But um, having, a, having an animal is a whole other thing. I mean, you've got Mattress. I have Mattress, and Mattress is my perfect son, and I will obviously love him forever. But there are limitations to owning, like, not just a snake, but, like, any reptile. Yeah. Where, like, you can't... He Like, Mattress exists in his... Like, literally in a, in a glass house, <laughs> in his own world, mm-hmm. until I go and, and seek his his involvement in my life you know mm-hmm. like it's not the other way around yeah it's not the other way around whereas like a dog or a cat 
like you're part of their life, you know, mm-hmm. and and they come up to you and they, you ha- you form a relationship that goes both ways, and which is nice. I have totally. You remember last time when we perfected my alignment with this microphone? You've lost it. I've totally forgotten it. Yeah, it's a little further from your mouth. How's that? You look uncomfortable. I'm good. Are you uncomfortable? No, I'm good. Okay. That should be fine. I think it could be a middle, little more... Well, I don't know. It can be lower for sure. It's like covering your eyes. That's not right. <laughs> See, the problem is I just associate my eye level with being in front of my face. <laughs> and I don't account for that slight drop to my mouth. No, it's lower than you think. Yeah. yeah. It's true. <laughs> First person problems. Sure. Yeah. All right. What are we talking about today? I don't know. <laughs> I like that before we're recording, you say, oh, we were going to talk about this. But then while we're recording, it's an I don't know. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? What's on your mind? Well, this weekend is the due date for over half of my grad school applications mm-hmm. so i'm a little one track mind mm-hmm. as of late but i did have a wonderful meeting this morning about my research which was great we can also talk about that but that's not really a topic i feel like so you much. talk about that every week i am good yeah <laughs> look sometimes you have a great advisor but this this week's was especially great because I had good, impressive results that made my advisor want to make my project, like, bigger. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want to, like, put more work on you, but this is, like, my dream scenario of how this code would work by the time you're done. He's like, if you had the summer also to work on this project, I have no doubt in my mind that you could do it, and then we would publish a PRL. But I don't know if you can do it and write your thesis before May. Well, you could write the thesis and then... And then continue. Further that, yeah. Yeah. Or I could work my ass off in January and just get it fucking done. Yeah. Which that's I want to do. What, that's what I'll be doing. <laughs> yeah. We've just started the document for my thesis. Mm. Or I should say my advisor started it. And he wrote like a paragraph or two for the introduction. What? And it's just so overwhelming. Like, are you using RevTech and everything? We're using an MNRES style. Yeah, so that's something we should talk about because not everyone obviously knows what that is. Tech formats? Yeah, tech formats. So we've mentioned before, I believe, if we haven't, something's wrong, um, that we use LaTeX for typesetting in physics and in math mostly. I We may have mentioned it, but we never really... We never really talked about it? Not that I can remember. The glory of tech. It's... We've talked. I remember we've talked at least a little bit about it because we made fun of how it's notated when you actually write it, like the logo out. Because it's like. Was this when we were with Alex? I think it was when we were Alex. I don't know if it was the last episode though or not. I don't remember. Because it it's called LaTeX, but it's spelled like LaTeX, and it's spelled all caps, but some letters are higher than others, so it makes a zigzag for no reason at all. It's like a. <laughs> it's like a bridge. Yeah, Almost. it's really silly looking. What? Or those, uh, where they used to have the old docks and now it's just a series of like wooden poles sticking out <laughs> of the, the coast at the beach. Yeah. 
Um, LaTeX. Is it LaTeX or LaTeX? I call it LaTeX. But it's it's highly contested. I think it's generally agreed upon that it's not LaTeX. Oh, yeah. And no one calls it LaTeX unless they don't know what they're saying. Do you, but do you know? I've also heard LaTeX, which feels wrong. Ugh. Yeah, I know, right? It's just it's very off-putting. Do you know why it's called that? Oh, it has something to do with, like, German or Russian or something. I'm going to look it up. Um, But for those who don't know what it is, seeing as we've been talking about it, uh, it's a it's a language, a programming language in which you typeset documents. So it's... How to describe it to those who don't code? It's essentially taking all of the automated things out of your word processor and having complete and total control over what your document looks like and it's very well known for like making things beautiful i don't know what it is about tech but once you compile it and you get that document it just looks right and it's like something that google docs and word can't do it's really good at uh writing equations out so that's why it's so common in math and physics and so for physicists, at least, I know if you are trying to publish a paper, there's a set of packages that you can use that will put in the formatting guidelines for you. So RevTech is one that I'm familiar with, and I already forgot the letters that Matt said for his, but they'll basically split it up into the right number of columns and give you all the, uh, the formatting guidelines and everything with yeah, your abstract. Essentially, every journal... Well, most journals have their own individual style guide formatting. Yeah. So I know for my lab class, I used AAS Tech, mm-hmm. and now I guess for our thesis, we're going to be using. Well, it's in the style of MNRAS. What is that? Which is the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. Weird. Okay. But I think the actual formatting style has a different name. I just don't know what it is. Also. I I was going to ask you about that cuz you sent me a photo of what you were working on and mm-hmm. I like I've looked through some of the honors college theses and I wasn't expecting it to look like a publication. Like and I've looked through some doctoral theses as well where it, it doesn't really look like a publication so much as it looks like a book, you know? Mm-hmm. Like a journal publication has a specific look to it where it's got the title, the authors, their institutions, an abstract, a list of keywords, and then the text yeah, starts in two columns. That's what I was saying. Yeah, then that's precisely what yours looks like. And I'm like, should I be writing mine like it's a book? Or should I be writing it like it's a journal? Because mm-hmm. it's going to be long. Yeah. It's going to be longer than any journal publication, usually, like most. Because mine's it, it's got to be at least 25 pages for, for our undergrad theses. I thought it was 20. Yeah, 20, 25. I don't remember. But apparently LaTeX is an abbreviation of Lamport's Tech, which is named after Leslie Lamport, who apparently developed it. But now I don't know what tech means. So we're just down a rabbit hole of inquiry. I heard something where it was like supposed to be like LaTeX. <laughs> like they had like the the weird um like throaty CH from like Russian or German or something. There was like some kind of lingual reason for it to be pronounced a certain way but i can't remember what it actually was and i'm not sure if what i read was entirely true because it's the internet find anything no (laughs) i'm looking 
Yeah, so how do you feel about having started your thesis document? <laughs> you you can't converse and scroll on your phone at the same time. I'm just fully invested in finding this. It's not <laughs> tech equals tau epsilon. Huh. Let me let me talk into the microphone. <laughs> From tug.org. Oh. It says tech equals tau epsilon chi and pronounced similar to bleh. Not to the <laughs> state known for its Tex-Mex chili. Oh, do you know why? Because um it that's what I'm thinking of. The it's the chi. But it's not actually saying I don't know. But the la stands for the guy who made LaTeX. Hmm. Fun. No, we just don't know about the tech part. <laughs> tech is beautiful. I have been using it since my second semester of undergrad. But it's I think we didn't mention this last week. It's one of those things they never teach you, though. Well, we learned about it in our one class. Mm, yeah, they mentioned it. We had to do like one document and compile it, and then we were good. Although, I remember... I you used tech wrong, though. <laughs> that's not true. I just didn't use Overleaf when I started because I didn't know it was a thing. No, but even in Overleaf, you have like all of your files in one weird document because i didn't know how to use <laughs> there's no tutorial oh it's so funny though i've changed it since you've changed Relax. it you fixed yeah it? i have different projects thank god but um i remember sophomore year i heard people like a couple rows up for me in class talking about using it mm. and i think i must have saw it i don't know if i saw it like written on their screen or if i just heard them say it but I tried so hard to like Google it and find it. <laughs> and if you don't know that you got to, you know, capitalize the L, the T and the X. You just are Googling latex. Yeah, latex. <laughs> and you'll never find it. Though I think Google knows me well enough now that it knows when I'm typing in latex. Well, yeah. Like, I mean latex. Yeah. But I also usually don't just type in the word. I type in a very specific thing I want to type out, but... It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And once you know about it, you, like, recognize it from so many, like, books and papers and, like, mm -hmm. problem sets your professors will give you. And you're like, oh, oh that's tech. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see, like, people's personal statements. And you're like, they wrote their personal statement in tech? Like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> but then you get the problem sets that are written clearly not in tech. Mm -hmm. and it just makes you sad. In, like, Comic Sans. And you're like, why is this the way that this has been done? I haven't seen Comic Sans in years. No, our our quantum professor uses Comic Sans in a very limited context, though. I never never noticed. Well, it. because he doesn't use it for the whole document. It's only on the top where it says like the name of the course. It will be in Comic Sans, and really? I don't know why. That's it baffles really me. But yeah, you can really tell when people have written their, especially their equations, and anything other than tech because they just look worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they're cramped the spacing's all off they're hard to read they're they don't have enough like s vertical space on the page it's mm -hmm. just a disaster <laughs> it's a mess it's sad type your equations and what tech people <laughs> yeah if you're ever doing anything where you have to type up a lot of math it's worth learning it doesn't take very long to learn it's it's like many things in life that are just really intimidating at first mm. 
but it's super simple at heart. It's like driving a stick. <laughs> the hardest part is just starting. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you remember to begin and end your documents. And once you uh, work on your right pinky strength for hitting that backslash. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like once, if you've had any coding experience, though, it's pretty approachable. Oh, yeah. It's one of, it's one of those things you kind of, the command for what you want is what you think it would be. Like, oh, I want to write a theta. It's probably slash backslash theta. theta. Like, it, I, I would say it's the perfect intersection of coding and writing yeah because it's got so many elements of both Mm -hmm. the only complaint i have is they have a lot of at least to me unused commands that you can't override when you make your own command to have shorthand so like if i want to do a uh have shorthand for kappa i can't just do slash k because that's apparently used yeah it's used for something else are you uh, typing your grad application personal statements in tech? No. Should I? No. I'm using Google Docs. Yeah, it feels wrong. It feels it's like a waste. It's unnecessary, yeah. Yeah, like I, I have a very nice tech setup. Like once once you kind of find your own way in tech, you, you end up having your own like preamble that you always put in every document. And so mine is always, it makes it very cute. Like it's got a nice header with my name and whatever the context of the document is and it's like really well formatted and everything looks so nice, but it's just for things that are only type, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah. For things that are type and maybe a little bit of math and, but pictures, like I love typing with pictures into tech because it does figures and captions and alignments really well. Yeah. I mean, anything is an upgrade over the wave, especially word gets a lot of bad rep about you know inserting a picture and you move mm-hmm. in but google docs google docs is worse is so <laughs> it's bad. terrible yeah it's like i think something that is an adjustment from moving from like google docs or word to using tech is that you can't the mouse is useless you can't mm-hmm. you can't just click on something and drag it somewhere else that's not how it works you have to change the code and recompile it and i feel like that's a barrier to entry to a lot of people that have been raised on on these very graphical user interface heavy programs guis um like if you if you grew up on word and like powerpoint switching to code frameworks like like beamer in tech like i make all my slideshows in tech and it's just it works for me because now i'm i'm used to like i i use vim as my text editor like i'm i don't touch my mouse <laughs> very much when i'm doing any scientific work and it's something that takes some getting used to, and I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with because we've very much, in especially in our generation, been raised on the point and click. Like especially with touch screens, you just you you point it literally point at what you want, and you mm-hmm. move it, drag it somewhere else. It's a very intuitive system, and so going back from that to things that are based just on keyboards, which has like a level of extra- abstraction to it, is a bit of an adjustment. But I prefer it. I think in the end. Yeah, it takes me back to the days of playing on my Game Boy Color. <laughs> oh, the Game Boy Color. I had the, the like, see-through one. Ooh. Yeah, that, like, showed you the circuit boards on the inside. That's cool. It was sick. Do you know if those were real or not? What? The, the, what you were able to see. I think so. Because I know a lot of, especially phones, 
they'll have they'll like market it as being clear or see-through you can see the circuit boards but sometimes they're fake it's just a picture yeah i don't i think i think for the game boy color i had like the purple transparent one yeah i know what you're talking about yeah that one was real it had like because it, it was so thick too you could like see all around it and everything yeah mine was like a lime green Ooh. and then i didn't have the cover for the battery slots so i just had a piece of brown masking tape over it nice it was so jank but it was i loved it or the ds only 90s kids will remember only 90s kids <laughs> i was like i've been talking about this like a weird amount over the past few weeks it's like the the millennial gen z gap because we're between it we talked about this a little last week i think but yeah. it's come up a weird amount in my like day-to-day conversations in the past week and I, like part of it's because I'm taking my my tonal harmony like music course is with mostly freshman music majors and there's just such a gap <laughs> and I think it's just because college changes you a lot and you get a lot more mature by the time you're a senior because like holy shit yeah if, I hope I wasn't that annoying <laughs> as a freshman but like probably but it's a lot imagine meeting yourself as a freshman in oh. high school no oh my god i give her a hug oh. oh no freshman in high school yeah like freshman in college is a little cringy freshman in high school is like please you need help oh. <laughs> freshman in high school audrey was not okay mm-hmm. oh man so not understanding who i was in, in high school very repressed very not okay mm. interesting time I give her a hug and then I take her out for coffee for like a long conversation. <laughs> Did freshman you, freshman high school you like coffee? Freshman high school, no, I didn't get into coffee until junior year of high school. I mm. think this is when I was taking a big chunk of APs and then I got into coffee. Understandable. Yeah. That's usually the threshold. Yeah, it's like, well, now I have an actual course load <laughs> time for coffee. God, but- I remember when. It- APs were stressful. Yeah. Like, that was what you thought stress was. <laughs> oh, man. And now we're moving on again. Moving on up. I feel like we're always in the limbo of getting started with one program, but also having on the horizon the fact that you'll soon be moving on from that program and having to be getting ready for something else. Yeah. And now I guess we're finally doing we're, that we're for the last We're getting to the end of time. it, yeah. This this whole application process is bringing a lot a lot of memories from from getting into undergrad because there are a lot of the similar things you're filling out applications you're oh writing essays God. you're getting letters of recommendation but it's so different at the same time. So, are you applying to University of Chicago? No, I am. And every time I go on there, I guess they use the same portal for oh, grad and so undergrad. it's the same. Well, no, it my it auto completes. My login from when I applied in undergrad. Oh, no. Did you look at your essays? <laughs> I'm so curious. No, no, no. Because it doesn't actually log in anymore. Oh, okay. It just auto-completes like, with that password. <laughs> and it just throws me back. Yeah. We both we both applied to UChicago and really wanted to go there for, for undergrad. And did we both get waitlisted? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and might have been at the same like visiting day because i remember we talked about it because we were there like around the same time visiting did you go columbus day it was like around then i think i went columbus day 
Yeah, because I remember we were talking about it, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I was there, like, like within, like, a week, but I wasn't sure, and we might have been there on the same day, which would be wild. I remember they had a sample math lecture, mm. and the guy was just talking about the concept of having different infinities, <laughs> and how different infinite series can have, like, different lengths or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was there with my dad, and he just looks over to me. And, like, it wasn't at all what I was expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was kind of not my forte. No. But he just looks at me. He's like, do you find this interesting? <laughs> In the most accusatory, but, oh, like, yeah. you know, like, not you direct You huge way. fucking nerd. <laughs> like, you like this? It's just fucking numbers. <laughs> and I couldn't say, yeah, because I, I, I honestly didn't really enjoy what was going on. But I couldn't say no. Yeah. It was just funny. I think that's always an interesting dynamic, like going home and trying to express like what my day-to-day life is or what my interests are without sounding like the biggest dork on the planet. <laughs> and like or I just mean, sounding I am like... a dork. Like it's like I get it. I'm a huge fucking nerd, but also like I want <laughs> I want to convey my interests without just being written off as a nerd and being ignored. Like, I can't just go home and complain about my tech not working. Like, yeah. It just makes, it's not coherent to anyone <laughs> I know at home. Yeah, like, uh, my, uh, one of my siblings is a uh, game designer and so does, like, coding stuff. And so I was trying to express, like, a problem in my code I was having. And, I'm like, the same thing I was describing to you earlier where I was trying to, like, track boundary conditions of a color axis. It was, like, a whole thing. And so sending them, like, texts trying to explain, and I'm like, I want to explain to you my computer science problem without needing to explain to you the plasma physics problem that's underlying the whole thing. And it was so hard. And I'm like, I wish I could just give you an impromptu lecture on plasma acceleration and why this plot is at all meaningful, but I can't right now. So we're just going to go with, like, I need this color to be tracked. (laughs) Like, I need the reddest part to be acknowledged and tracked in an an array (laughs) that's how it feels when you try and google things yeah it's like how can i reduce this and remove it from the context of why i need it yeah it's like going on stack exchange when you're working on code it's like i okay so i have this very specific problem in my code that's simulating a plasma accelerator but i have a coding problem that relates to me not understanding how like numpy arrays work it's (laughs) it's it's one of two extremes. Mm-hmm. Either it's a really niche problem like that, or it's like, hey, I forgot how to change the Y labels on my pie plots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I I had so many issues this week because I couldn't remember the order of, like, indexing in multidimensional arrays. I'm like, is it rows first or columns first? And I like, even though I looked it up, I still couldn't, like, conceptualize it. Right, and I made so many mistakes because of that. I honestly don't even know how it goes in like normal math. <laughs> like if you have I matrix forget. element, and it's I and it's like H I J. I'm like I don't know what's I what. I think yeah, I think I's call rows, I's rows and J's columns. Are you sure? I'm like it's just never made explicitly sure. clear except the f- very first time. And you then they matrices. assume you know it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this um. What were we even talking about? <laughs> I lost it. 
we we went from applications to that very quickly, and I can't remember how they related. Oh, it was it was your anecdote. <laughs> what was my what? You, you well, you were talking about going to a math lecture and uh, uh, being yeah, 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 coined yeah. as a dork for for finding it interesting, at least a little. It wasn't even so much as like, hey, you're a big nerd for this. It's just like, how? Why? Yeah. It's like such a... Because it's so far removed from mundane working life mm-hmm. that unless you've you know gone through the many years of background <laughs> and you're just, just a little bit messed up in the head like us where you enjoy weird yeah, stuff and like it's this. Like... It's just it's one of those things where you you like are pursuing this really cool thing but every day you get less and less relatable and less people understand why what you're doing is super cool. Yeah. Like oh man, I at my meeting today we were talking a lot about like the wider context of how my my it, like personal code that I've written from scratch is going to be used in the wider context of plasma accelerators and that's like so sick. Like what the fuck? That's awesome, and it, I'm so pumped about it. And I was trying, to, <laughs> I was trying to explain in my sibling group chat that I'd had a really cool meeting about a graph. <laughs> and so it's like, I I can't even look it up. But I was like, today I made a really cool graph, smiley face, <laughs> and then like tried to explain why it was so cool, but I just couldn't. And then my only real response was that gif of the guy going, look at this graph. <laughs> the Nickelback one? Yeah, the Nickelback I gif. I love that. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is essentially what we do is look at graphs and make new graphs and some good graphs. I made a really cool plot this morning. It took like an hour to make, like to run. Yeah, and it was a good graph, and I'm very pleased with the results. And I have a very clear direction of how to take those results and make something really scientifically significant. And it's so exciting, but it's so hard to explain to anyone who doesn't know what I'm like actually doing. Yeah, I mean, I may not be the most competent in what you're doing, mm. and clearly not. But I, I will say, I do have a working understanding of like some of the principles mm. at work because we've gone through mostly the same physics yeah the background. same coursework and i had really no idea what you're talking about <laughs> i feel like i need to get better at explaining it it's hard i like my advisor does this to me he did it today where he's like okay so you've described this thing to me in physics now how do you describe it in math and so i'll like give him the mathematical version of what i just said and he's like okay so now how do you describe it in english <laughs> it's so hard yeah. it's the hardest thing ever so I'm trying to get better about that, about like not using the physics or the math to carry the understanding and being able to actually express things in English. <laughs> it's really hard. I was just looking for a text. I couldn't find it, but uh, I might be on Messenger. Mm. But I got a message from my mother, who is now one of our avid podcast fans. Woo-hoo. She's like, you guys use a lot of big fancy words oh i tried so hard i and it's one of those things where you just forget you just it's It's just part of your daily vocabulary at this point like i remember last year one of our friends was taking like uh electricity and magnetism in physics for the first time and the concept of a field is a new thing yeah and it's something like all of my entire 
research project is motivated by fields, by bioelectric and magnetic fields, and it's such an innate concept to me, but it's one of those things where if you're coming from outside of physics, it's such a weird concept, because a field is only a thing that really matters when there's something in the field for it to interact with. And that's such a hard, but it exists everywhere because we have mathematical principles that sh- like can show how it behaves no matter where you put an object to interact with it. But that's such like that took me so many words to describe, and it's still not clear. And it's such a weird thing to describe to someone who doesn't have that part of their daily life mm-hmm. to think about electric fields because who who does other than us and like specifically physicists and like electrical engineers and who else mm-hmm. that's it i remember there was a huge shift in my way of thinking mm-hmm. when i inserted the word orthogonal into my <laughs> normal use yeah and honestly i couldn't tell you the last time i used perpendicular yeah orthogonal is just like, the word you know how in society you you are said to mature once you become 18 i think in science you mature once you start using you jargon. mature once you use the word orthogonal instead of perpendicular <laughs> that's the ticket that's the one sign i think it is kind of in a way a fundamental issue in science is the fact that it's built around jargon yeah and a lot of it is for no reason like, we could just say perpendicular. Is it that much quicker to say orthogonal? No. It, but is it harder for people outside the field to understand orthogonal than perpendicular? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of perpetuating exclusivity in a way that is not great. But then when you get into, like, higher things, like, orthogonal is such a such a low-level mathematics thing that it does not need a, a separate word from the common vernacular yeah but when you get into plasma physics for example like you can't avoid using jargon because the field has been is so new that none of it is commonplace and all of it is novel and needs words (laughs) that are new to express it but because it's not the common like uh the public that's choosing those words it's just scientists it becomes jargon and it perpetuates yeah. itself and even just operations in math mm-hmm. like you and i know that dot products and cross products are two completely different things yeah but if i would show my work to my mother they would both just look like normal like multiplication. multiplication well yeah because you don't know vector mathematics right yeah and then when you're learning math or multiplication in school mm-hmm they use like, both or none. Yeah, you can use a dot, you can use a cross. It both means the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's weird. <laughs> and then we've gotten to the point where if we do want to show that you're multiplying two things, you just put them next to each other. Yeah. Because you know that a dot or an X wouldn't be right. Mean vector yeah, products. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, it's, it's like a really weird reversal. It's like uh, horses and zebras. Like, when you see a dot, you think multiplication, not dot product, but, like, we see dot product. Yeah. But. Or just bolded letters. Yeah. It's a language of mathematics that we've really gotten to know 
we're we're proficient in the language of mathematics. I think I, I wouldn't say we're fluent. Ah, uh, it's because it's gotten to the point where we speak mathematics. Yeah, that's what I was saying with with like the way my meetings go is yeah. say say this in yeah, physics, yeah, yeah. say this in math, say this in English, and they're completely different things. Like the words out of my mouth are not the same for all of them, and it's such a weird thing that I don't think is thought like. I don't know how to describe it. Like public perception of how you do science is not seen the same way of like how you would learn a, learn a language. And really, a lot of what mm. physics is, is is learning the language of physics so that you can communicate science. I have an interesting take on things. Okay. Because I don't know if it was last week or the week before that I was at a talk that my research advisor was research advisor was giving. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about like habitable plant hab habitable. I'm gonna start this segment over what again. What a fun word! <laughs> it's so hard for me to say. I don't habitable? understand habitable. I have that problem with diagonalizable. How do you diagonalize a matrix? Like it's such a shitty word. I've gotten good at it because I've practiced since like my second semester when I took linear. I was like, okay, this is a diagonalizable matrix. Can we diagonalize it? Yes, we can. It's diagonalizable. Can we, can we, can we diagonalize? Dia- diagonalize? Diagonalize. We dangle this matrix. <laughs> so anyway, anyways, anyways, <laughs> take, we, sh- oh, we should get one of those boards. You can just clap. It's not the same. Also, it's not necessary because we're not syncing the audio. That's literally what those clappers are for, is for syncing the audio. Yeah. Fun fact. So anyways... I was at a talk that my research advisor was giving mm-hmm. about habitable. <laughs> habitable. Habitability and different future prospects for astronomical observations. And it was given largely to the public. And I could really tell, I don't know if he noticed it himself, mm-hmm. but I could really notice a different a difference in the way he was speaking. Yeah. And it almost came off as if, like, okay, I don't know. I just think that when scientists are talking and they may come off as hesitant or even just really curt on the way they're speaking, it almost sounds like they're being either shy or they just don't really know what to say. I think it's so much to do with the fact that we have such a disconnect between using English and using math speak. Yeah. That like if I were in a meeting with him and we were talking about the same talk, but like with our background knowledge, Mm -hmm. we could just spit this jargon back and forth and we'd be talking as if we were fluent in some alien language. Yeah. But listening to him try and give this same uh, spiel to the public it just sounds like so forced. Yeah. And so dry. Mhm. Yeah, I think that's it's so hard when you're trying to speak English and not science because you don't want to say anything incorrect, but you want to say things in a way that will be understood, which sometimes means forcing it to be a little bit incorrect. Yeah. Especially for writing statements. Mhm. Especially for my uh GRFP statements. It was so hard to find that balance between making it make sense and making it actually be correct. Yeah, removing jargon from 
your day-to-day speech is really difficult. And it's something that I think I need to work on a lot because there, we've mentioned this before. When you when you get to the point where you're saying orthogonal and not perpendicular, you feel great about it. <laughs> yeah. It feels so it's such a fucking rush because in like your your mind's eye when you think of a scientist, are they saying perpendicular? Fuck no. <laughs> They're and- saying orthogonal. And so you're seeing yourself like get a little closer. Yeah, and the problem is that the people that the only people that you'll ever end up having to talk about this stuff with are other people who will say orthogonal. Yeah. <laughs> you never learn it or discuss it so to say in English. Mm-hmm. You only ever use the jargon because that's how the field works. That's how other experts in the field communicate because mm-hmm. that's just what it's built upon and that's how it's best run. That but... unless you're having that mm-hmm. constant opportunity to, to talk about it with other people then it's so hard to be able to do that i would argue though that the same is true of not just science literally anything oh, like yeah. if i yeah. could take you into the kitchen of the restaurant i worked in in high school and just like recorded people talking oh yeah you wouldn't so, be able to understand yeah same how the way they communicate about the way the restaurant runs like any any like close-knit field of or workplace or community is going to develop their own vernacular for communicating based on the context in which they're communicating you know sometimes i find myself using kitchen slang from my pizzeria job in like my daily life and i'm like i stop myself and i'm like absolutely no one's gonna know what i'm talking about yeah like when i i remember (laughs) when i first like when i was waitressing a lot i would come home and we'd be out of like we'd be out of spinach and I, like, in cooking something, and I'd be like, oh, 86 spinach. And, like, that doesn't make sense. Because 86 is the code for deleted off of the, like, point of sale system so that you can't put it on orders because we're out of it. But, like, that doesn't work when you're not there. Mm-hmm. You can't 86 spinach in your house. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Unless <laughs> you take orders within your own household. I know. But it's just, like, it's part of the way you think of things. You're like, oh, we're out of spinach, 86 spinach. <laughs> like that's it um so it's it's the same thing with any field any any community any close-knit things which i think is fascinating but the problem with science is that it's important that we communicate outside of science because otherwise there's so many barriers to entry that we really need to like inspire people to care about it yeah. And especially because, like... At least inspire people to obey it. <laughs> Believe it. Um, I think because, like, any... Well, pretty much anyone can go and work in, in a restaurant. There's not that much uh, prerequisite to go and become a buffer or a waiter or a dishwasher or a cook or anything. Like, it's not a, a high barrier to entry. In, in restaurants or in food service. However, the barrier to entry in something like physics is about 10 years of education, mm-hmm. at least. And in a lot of cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's already so exclusionary to the public in general that by the time you're established as a physicist, you're like already so far removed it's just ingrained in the way you think. Yeah, you've got at least a decade. By the time you're a practicing physicist, 
like not in school at all you are at least a decade removed from normal society <laughs> and so we're already four years in and i feel like it's already a problem in my life yep. <laughs> like, i i can't go home and clearly express what i'm working on in a way that's interesting <laughs> But it is, it's so interesting and I have such a, like, a passion for it that I think it's very, like, vitally important. That it's we... especially true with things you're working on mm. because you spend so much time on very specific aspects of it Yeah, that you don't often think about the big picture of what's going on mm -hmm. and you don't get that outside look of what's going on. And it's not even like I'm an experimental physicist where I can point at a big machine I helped build and be like, look at this giant physics machine. I yeah. helped build that. Like, when I was working in my old lab and I was, like, optimizing these detectors, at least in, like, maybe five years, there will exist a machine that I had some contribution to the design of. And I can say, look, point at it, and say, look at that big physics machine. For this, it's, I mean, yes, my my research has some experimental context where it will be relevant, but the actual big physics machines won't happen for for decades. And so it's so it's so removed from tangible things as well. Like I can show them my code, but no one looks at code and goes, "Wow!" If they're not programmers <laughs> or physicists, uh, or, yeah, no one's or gonna scientists. look at a physicist's code and be yeah. like, "Wow!" Oh no, 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 no! If a comp sci person looked at my code, they go, "Ow!" <laughs> they like, get rid of that W. <laughs> it just hurts. There's no comments. There's no structure. It's a goddamn mess, but it works and it does cool physics. So. See, since since we talked about it in that one episode, mm -hmm. I made it a point to add comments and like actually explain what's going on in my code. Mm -hmm. But I still have to figure out how to get it on Git. Oh, I and, like help I, with I that. could very easily just go on the web client mm -hmm. and like upload it as a file. No. Yeah. I can help you with this. Eventually. Do you want, do you want me to help you set up a GitHub for your for your code? I'm thinking like it's so important. <laughs> I'm thinking like next week. Okay. After the semester's over. Yeah, after we finish our our quantum final, you want to set up a git. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's important and it's once you like it's one of those things like tech, like everything we talk about where starting is like really hard. I'm, but yeah, I'm definitely feeling the barrier of entry yeah, to get <laughs> to get um but once you start using it, it just it's one of those things that's like why haven't I always been using this? like it makes so much sense i have the entire history of my simulation so if i fuck something up i can fix it and that's so important yeah. i can't i can't lose my code anymore i can't i can't uh forget what i did to start this code or what it looked like two months ago i can't forget that until i ddos your git account <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's important i'll help you set it up hmm I've also been very much putting off converting from Windows. To Linux? Yeah. You don't have to. I know I don't have to. I prefer it, but you we've we know my thoughts on open source software. So I'm just nervous about like something going wrong. It's scary. Yeah. I feel like so many computer things are like that. And it is something that it takes guts. Like a little bit to to go in and and do computer stuff yourself because it's it's kind of like like physics where you 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 expect to need some amount of training in order to like go in and do software shit on your computer but you don't 
like same for physics you like you can learn it yourself <laughs> and it's just so amplified by the fact that everything we do mm-hmm. is on our computer yeah my life depends on my computers yeah but so if you have stuff like drain. github and like google docs and overleaf everything in the cloud then your life doesn't compute uh, your life doesn't depend on your machine it depends on your connection to the internet <laughs> which is <laughs> which also is why it's great yeah that we have such wonderful internet oh, wonderful connection here. wi-fi at at Stony Brook. It's just crazy. Never never goes down. They're definitely not replacing the router in my apartment next week because it's so shitty. I have a really good idea. What? So, you know how they have rate my professor? <laughs> rate my do it. Rate my Wi-Fi. Rate my Wi-Fi. You can just rate Wi-Fi connections at any location. Yeah, for those outside the Stony Sphere, <laughs> uh, just this semester... Really, like we've had some problems with the Wi-Fi every once in a while. Like I remember last year or two years ago, it went down for like a few hours in the middle of a weekday and everyone was like, what the fuck? Wi-Fi, we all need it. It's like a 30,000 per student campus. Like if the internet goes down, so many people are fucked. And so it went down for like two hours, three hours in the middle of the day and people freaked out. And then for whatever reason, this semester... It was just constant Stony Brook's Wi-Fi dropping out, dropping back up. Like, uh, we couldn't get through. Like, we couldn't access Overleaf for, like, 30 minutes at at a time, which is where we do all of our code for typesetting things. So I couldn't type my homework (laughs) anymore. Uh, It's gotten slightly better. I think they replaced, like, the network core. Well, they did that at the very beginning of the semester. Yeah, they, they dropped for, like... 12 hours without telling anyone beforehand because it was it happened over the start of a weekend yeah like a weekend started it was a friday night and they dropped the the main wi-fi for actually 12 hours and they tried to do it overnight but like it was it started at like 7 p.m on friday night and people are still doing work it's it, it's a college campus that's highly competitive yeah. everyone's still doing work all the time and now if you're a boomer listening to this you may be like, mm, that's probably a good thing that your Wi-Fi dropped. You can go outside and socialize. It's 1990. <laughs> yeah, I think the, <laughs> <laughs> the the environment on on college campuses and especially within science and, and technology departments is such that you cannot function without an internet connection and you cannot function within your department if you're not working on weekends. And you're not working at night on a Friday night. Like you don't, we don't go out on Friday nights. Yeah, it'd be like if you had to <laughs> go to work, and your shoes were missing, your car keys were missing, and you were out of gas. Yeah, like you can't. Everything you need has to be accessed via the internet. It's like I can't even print anything out without the internet right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, because our our print queue is hosted through the web. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So if the Wi-Fi drops unexpectedly and I was like, you might think, oh, just print out your homework and then you can write it down. I can't do that because <laughs> the print goes through the Wi-Fi to get to the printers and it doesn't work. Uh, it's it's so integrated into, into our existence at this point. The only thing I can, I can, I can code. I can't commit things to Git. 
<laughs> well, I, I can commit them. I can't push them. Mm-hmm. But so I, I, that's one nice thing about about doing code directly on your computer is that instead of like remotely accessing lab computers is that you can you can do it without Wi-Fi. Like I, I did I, I did some of my code while walking to the physics building today for my meeting. So it's like a 15 minute walk and I was waiting for a simulation to finish. And then I was also trying to like get a plot into like a right directory to be uploaded. And I was doing it while walking across campus to get to the building because I don't need Wi-Fi to work in my terminal. Mm -hmm. It's nice. Good stuff. But yeah, I I think it's such a, I want to say naive assumption to think that like we could survive without internet. Obviously physically, yes, I can survive without internet. I, I know how to like subsist as a human being, but I can't survive while being productive within my field without internet yeah because it's not like we're societally inept mm-hmm. at you know being humans and socializing i like going outside and enjoying <laughs> things that aren't like yeah. video games or whatever it's just we're trying to be successful at what we do and like we're trying add to be something to society yeah. yeah and that's hosted on the internet yeah it's just the modern era welcome hi i did go outside this week yeah <laughs> i went to the beach three times this week Twice of which to catch a loon. It's my favorite activity this week. Because I went to the beach and me and my friend found a loon that had like something tangled around her legs. Like fishing line or something. And so she couldn't walk. Mm-hmm. But she could swim. And so we couldn't catch her because she got into the water and then she could swim. Oh, but yeah. we wanted to untangle her. So we went back at like 6am with our friend who's like a vet. Or like training to be a vet. And with a cardboard box and a towel and a lot of gusto um, <laughs> to catch this loon to try and help her out. Uh, but there were duck hunters there already because duck hunters get there at like 3 a.m. And so our 7 a.m. was not early enough. Um, and they had scared her off because they were shooting ducks like that will scare off all the birds. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went back after I got off work yesterday, but it was too dark and we couldn't see her. And so... We'll see. Continuing Loon Adventures. Hopefully one day we'll find her. Help her out. She might already be. Okay. I mean, it's been a while. Yeah. So, I I mean, I don't know their migratory habits or what they do. I don't know. She was staying, like, the duck hunters saw her. Because they they knew there was a a loon sitting on the beach not moving when they were shooting for a while. Yeah. So, that like, that was her. Because she can't walk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, um, so we think she's sticking around a little bit, but... It's hard because I like I work nine to five, so like finding a time where it's not dark that I can go and catch a loon. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard. What a wonderful problem to yeah. have. But that was the the highlight of my week was just like thinking about like my schedule for the day and like realizing that it has loon catching on <laughs> on my to do list. It's such a thing. It's, where has my life gone that I'm at this point? But I have once again become an avid user of my calendar. Yeah? Yeah, I actually add things and like look at it now. At, at, wait, of my calendar? My calendar. Okay. <laughs> my calendar, I'm like, is that an app? <laughs> Isn't that a soup company? McCormick? I might be thinking of McCormick. <laughs> oh, no, there's, isn't there something? There's something that's calendar. 
Marie Calendar. Marie is Calendar. like cookie dough. Isn't it? It's like a boxed cake mixes and cookie mixes, isn't it? Marie Calendars. I don't know. Like biscuits. <laughs> I can't say biscuits. Biscuits. Without a southern accent, I've realized this. biscuits. Say it. <laughs> it's like one of those words that, like, my heart says biscuits. <laughs> and biscuits. it's just like I. It's the one word I don't have a southern accent. Except for except that word. Except for biscuits. <laughs> biscuits it's so hard not to do a, a biscuit because <laughs> uh, it's also fun to say with a southern accent it's charming it's a good word for yeah. for being southern it's very cracker barrel it's like biscuit <laughs> i realized this the other day in stop and shop and so i was walking around with my friend like just saying biscuits over and over again <laughs> trying to say it without one because it's really hard mm-hmm. like how do you say it? Biscuit. Biscuit. It like feels wrong. There's like an implied you, but not where there's an actual you. Gotta <laughs> say it like B I S K I T. Biscuit. Biscuit. Oh, it just feels empty. There's no, there's no gravitas to biscuit. Yeah. But biscuit. 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 <laughs> It just feels more, it feels better. It's more fun to say anyway. But it's like the one thing that gives me trouble. Nothing else? Yeah, I don't. No other words? I don't think I have. I don't want to start this. Okay. Because I, I like, the the whole accent conversation is something that comes up so often because it's an easy thing to talk about in groups of people. But it, I've just gone through it so many times at this point that I'm sick of it. Like people saying, how do you say this word? And I'm like, you don't look at it. That's I'm, such a go-to icebreaker. It is because. Like, hey, we're, especially when you come to college and everyone's from different areas. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that I I get knocked for the most is Jaguar. Because apparently people here say Jaguar. I'd say Jaguar. Yeah, it's a Jaguar. I'm and- with you. Thank you. So so is our friend from Maryland. But Not really. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know where it's like regionally accepted to I say Jaguar. We had a whole This was a whole commotion at one of our cards nights. Yeah. I remember. Because people think it's crazy. Yeah, no. But Jaguars. I <laughs> you know. No. Cuz like that's how it's spelled. But yeah, it is it but here's the thing. Let's take Although a moment. Although I will I will say <laughs> if I'm talking about the vehicle I'll say it's a jaguar. I'll say it's a jaguar. Cause that one <laughs> jaguar. <laughs> jaguar. <laughs> no, because it's the, there's like a really old uh, comedy sketch. That's like this guy is like, "Do you like luxury, jaguar?" <laughs> it's like a whole thing. That's just the voice that he was on their commercials. Is it? I think there was like a running joke about it. That's funny. Um, but yeah, so language is complicated and regionally different and everyone says things different ways and it's not that remarkable that people say things different than the way you do like when i first moved from texas to pennsylvania i got mocked my my first day of first grade for having a southern accent mm-hmm. and do you know what i don't have anymore a, a southern, southern accent. accent because i was like it was feared out of me like <laughs> i got mocked out of a southern accent and just living in the north for a really long time but mm-hmm. um it's just, 
it's not that weird for people to say things different than you and it's not that interesting to be like and especially as someone like living on long island who's not from here at a school who is mostly full of people from here it's not fun because you're just gonna get made fun of (laughs) see i take it as a sense of pride oh like pride of where you come from yeah but i don't come from anywhere so if i like half of the shit that i say that's like weird for long islanders i don't even know where i got it from like is it a southern thing is it an upstate thing is it a pennsylvania thing I don't even know. I've got some weird, like, California things from my dad. Like, it could be your own personal blend of all that. They did, um, there was, like, a New York Times quiz ages ago that everyone thought was, like, super interesting. Oh, yeah, where it put you on the map. Yeah. yeah, it was, like, a heat map of where your dialect comes from. Not based on how you, like, pronounce things, but on word choice. Mm-hmm. So, like, what you call this thing and what you call that thing. So, um... We, I, like everyone took it and would like show regionally where their accent comes from my whole map was blue it was just you're from nowhere congrats <laughs> <laughs> oh no yeah see mine was spot on buffalo i'm not surprised you yeah. sound like you're from buffalo do i yeah like every especially like every once in a while you'll say something and i'm like that's so buffalo <laughs> <laughs> but how do we get here <laughs> Biscuits. <laughs> Gee, I don't know. Ah, oh, jeez. Yeah, but like it's it's language is so complicated, and it comes into science in the way that you communicate with others. Like all language is correct as long as you can clearly communicate what you mean to other people. Uh, but that becomes a problem in science when you can't communicate in vernacular english anymore Mm -hmm. to to people outside your field it really is like a new language it is i think honest to god i think every every field every specialization you can go into is like learning a new language i think economics is learning a new language i think mathematics is definitely learning a new language Mm -hmm. like if you think about someone who like comes to school and majors in chinese so they come to school they take their first chinese classes their freshman year and guess what those classes are taught in mostly English with Chinese peppered in. If you go into a first year courses in, in physics, they're mostly taught in English with some physics peppered in. And then like as you move up, a senior in Chinese is going to go to their professor's office hours and speak Chinese to them. And so when you're in physics and you're a senior and you go to your professor's office hours, you speak physics to them. It's just how it works. You, you become more and more specialized and you you find a way of communicating in a way that's mutually intelligible to the level that you are. And so it's it's a natural thing. I think where science goes wrong is that you never learn how to speak English again. Like, if you're a Chinese major, you still know how to speak English <laughs> to people. <laughs> and it, it's easy to communicate why your work is interesting because you're like oh i study chinese and like here's how i'm like researching this history that's like really niche of this one area and all this stuff because everyone understands language and everyone understands other like how other cultures are interesting but not everyone understands how like my code that (laughs) optimizes a particle detector that's going to be built in virginia it's like interesting it's it's not (laughs) see they'll listen to that and they'll be like oh virginia (laughs) <laughs> and especially when you get into abbreviations <laughs> like so much jargon mm. not only is it jargon but it's a lot of jargon that's compressed into an abbreviation 
And of course, you never use the elongated version of it. Yeah. So that just, the abbreviation itself becomes your word for it. Mm-hmm. So it just further removes it. I don't know. We're getting to the point where I don't know what I've already said on this podcast. That's problematic. <laughs> but my my first ever group research meeting, we were talking about gems. I've definitely talked about this before. But a gem is a type of like multiplying detector. Like it's a gas. I don't think you've talked about this. Really? Okay. So. Um. Well, I got, went into my first research group meeting ever uh, in my first lab freshman year. And like... Because it was a group meeting, they were communicating to each other, assuming, like, the same base of knowledge. But I was obviously a freshman in physics who knew absolutely fucking nothing coming into a nuclear experimental, like, research context. So they kept talking about GEMS. And, like, I don't obviously know that it, like, stands for something, but I don't know what that is. So in my mind's eye, I'm, like, apparently someone had misplaced the GEMS. And so I'm thinking of, like physical like green like sims gemstones <laughs> like yeah. that's what i'm picturing in my mind's eye the whole time they're having this conversation they're like oh like when did you last see the gems oh they were on a cart on the s floor but like i don't know where they are anymore and so i'm imagining someone pushing a cart down the physics hallway with like a green diamond that's like huge on it because i have no other thing to replace in my in my like mental image of this scenario and so it's it's a detector. See, now that's also <laughs> funny to me because in my mind, in my field, mm-hmm. a gem is a German equatorial mount. <laughs> so we so we take our gems and we flip them. We have gem flips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I think it's interesting because my field of like plasma acceleration is a relatively new Zoom. one. Yeah, it's it's relatively new, so the jargon is new. Hmm. And so I think that gives like plasma accelerator physicists a little bit of a unique perspective because like you don't the jargon's not established yet. Like I was I was talking to my advisor about this the other week. Like he was calling a certain uh behavior of our, our driving electron beam a pinch. And he's like, oh, yeah, so when it pinches, it does this. And this is a pinch, 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 pinch. Um, but his postdoc, one of one of his old postdocs, who's not with us anymore, uh, published a paper where they're called something else. And he's like, yeah, she wasn't really comfortable with the word pinch. Like, I've tried to be consistent within my publications to always call it a pinch. But it's not, like, established. So she used a different word for it or, like, avoided using a word for it at all. And so it's one of those things where the jargon doesn't exist yet. And so it forces you to communicate in English a lot more than a lot of older fields within within science, I think, because plasma physics or plasma physics has been around for a while, but plasma acceleration has only been around since like the 80s. Yeah. So it's it's very young in the context of science. That's how I felt in our electronics lab. Yeah, because. It's a pretty already established field with its own jargon, but we don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. So trying to write reports that are intelligible and make it sound like you know what's going on and you try to use jargon that you have no idea really what you're talking about. You call something a MOSFET, but it's actually a JFET and you're like, what does that mean? No, I, I literally did that in my report oh, and no. I was getting it read over for my writing requirement <laughs> and her professor left a comment. He's like, 
nah, this is not that. <laughs> yeah, I um, we we have to take a junior level electronics lab, and otherwise, I think we don't really have any introduction to circuitry or electronics at all. Oh, except for like one or two experiments that we do our freshman year, but that's like big circuits where you literally just like connect like they're already built for you yeah they're already they're practically built for you and you don't use like a breadboard which is what you plug all the little wires into to connect things oh yeah they're all integrated they're yeah so it's um definitely a new experience moving on to actual electronics where you have to use transistors which are like kind of a newer thing in science and you never have a reason to think about transistors until you do electronics work yeah a transistor is a device yeah it's a device and even just stuff like that yeah like diodes you never think about but everyone knows an led yeah but but just like just going back to our conversation before Mm -hmm. like just words like transistors breadboards like we have that assumption of Mm -hmm. knowing what it is that we just use it comfortably yeah it's I feel I, like, bad. I feel bad. It's and it's one of those things that's so frustrating because it's so clear to you. And you have no other way of describing it. You have it. no other way. Like I don't have another word for a breadboard. You could, and, you without could, visibly describing what it is. Yeah, you can go to a whole spiel of oh, it's a. Uh, and then it's gonna take five minutes to describe what yeah. a breadboard is. A breadboard is like literally a thing, a hunk <laughs> of plastic with a bunch of holes in it, and underneath those holes are wires running across in rows and so that you can connect things by just poking little bits of wire to connect two different rows and that will connect different components of your circuit but it's just a breadboard like breadboard. it's literally just the most basic part you haven't even made the circuit yet and you have a breadboard yeah it's the foundation of it's it. the foundation of the circuit and so for us it doesn't make sense to call it anything else it's just a breadboard and it's so fundamental to starting to, you need it to do anything in circuitry until you get into like PCB design, which is its own whole thing, mm-hmm. which is a printed circuit board, which are what modern electronics are actually made of. But it's just, it becomes such an integrated part of your vocabulary because there's no other way. And it's difficult, especially now, like we're getting ready to go home for the holidays and you have to... Mm-hmm. You have to try and describe why your life is not a boring hellscape of just sitting at a chalkboard writing symbols. So uh, what's your thesis on? <laughs> well, you see, I'm using an N-body integrator, which uses symplectic time steps to track the time evolution of AMD in a secular chaotic system. <laughs> your sounds way fancier than mine. Holy shit. See... One of the fun things is that you can, like, whether or not it may be mm-hmm. correct, you can just pack a bunch of jargon in to make yourself sound impressive when <laughs> you go home. This is true. But that's problematic in its own right. I think... It, it adds to the uh, the pompousness. Yeah. And, like, in uh, as, like, the generation of, of scientists growing up with, like, actual flat earthers being a thing and, like, climate change denial... It's so important to be able to communicate science to everyone, not just to your peers. And it's so not taught to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so little effort among among scientists to keep our work understandable. Like, jargon is embraced. Like, if you discover something in science, you get to name it after yourself. 
Like that shouldn't <laughs> be okay. And, and it's just all so, so exclusionary to the public. And so I think one of our responsibilities is, as, as younger scientists is to try and maintain our ability to communicate in English. <laughs> yeah. Which is surprisingly difficult. <laughs> and I have two points off that. Mm-hmm. One, that's kind of our goal here. Yeah. With this podcast. Practice. To kind of, well, not only just to practice, but to kind of identify these things mm. and make them known to either the scientists who are committing these terrible crimes of <laughs> speaking unintelligible languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing, speaking of the climate, mm. did you see the uh, time person of the year? Yeah, Greta. Beautiful. It's nice. It is nice. You see Donald's comment? Yeah, we're just going <laughs> to ignore that. God fucking disgrace speaking of twitter being its own oh my god twitter's such a hellhole uh yeah so i think uh, we i mean this this podcast is is our way of practicing a little bit communicating what we're doing but obviously we're not doing the greatest job if your mom thinks that we use too much jargon but it's something that's deceptively difficult and not considered when yeah. when you think oh like i want to be an astronaut you're like okay are you ready to lose your relatability to all <laughs> of your friends <laughs> are you ready to create such a specific like vernacular for yourself that you can no longer communicate what you do day to day to the person sitting next to you on the bus like yeah and then when you actually hear scientists like say what they do in a way that makes sense to the public to you as another scientist it sounds so removed from what they actually do yeah like a lot of the professors in our astronomy department at Stony Brook study like the processes involved with supernovae Mm -hmm. but if you go on their website or like hear them at a public talk they'll be like oh I just blow up stars for a living (laughs) and I'm like that just sounds so, so wrong from a scientific standpoint. But then at the same time, it's talks like that that got us into science. Yeah. So how do you give a talk like that that inspires people to give get into science knowing that, that the science would the turn science, them off? <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't even turn them off. It's just it's inaccessible to them at the yeah. moment. Like when you're giving a public talk, you are communicating science because it in a way that is in English because it is otherwise inaccessible to their understanding because they don't speak your language mm-hmm. and it's it feels like you're like you're cheapening the value of your work i I feel like that's so much writing grad school statements is that I'm lessening the depth of my work a lot because you've got oh you've got five hundred words and to describe your entire life's work, including your future plans. So you've got maybe a hundred words to describe your thesis mm-hmm. <laughs> and everything you've done with regards to that. And you can't use jargon too much because whoever's reading your application isn't necessarily someone in your subfield. So you have to try and describe why why your work is significant, how it was motivated, what specifically you contributed to that, and like how you're using it in the future in in english like slightly not english a little bit of science yeah you could pepper it in pepper in some science because like 
the people reading physics grad school applications are physicists, so they know what an electric field is. Yeah. Like, the fact that if I'm giving a talk to the public, I can't assume they know what an electric field is. Mm. Is such a barrier to describing why my work is significant. Yeah. And so it's finding that balance of being able to communicate science in English in a way that doesn't lessen the significance or just the the raw effort that's gone into your work. Because I feel like I, I often have trouble describing to people outside of science that my work is something I'm so passionate about and it's such a creative and like like formative process but when you describe it in like to someone outside of science it just sounds like doing a lab report you know it doesn't sound like it's something that like keeps you up at night and that makes you like like that stumps you and that challenges you and that pushes you into trying new things you've never tried before and like learning i'm gonna learn a new programming language because i think it could have cool applications in my work it's like something like it drives you to try new things and to do new things and it's so it's such a like in a lot of ways an artistic process and a personal process of of like pursuing your research that it's but it's impossible to communicate that with such a a limited vocabulary that everyone will understand Mm -hmm. and it's i think part of what perpetuates that stigma of scientists as like robots yeah and it's so untrue (laughs) that it hurts me (laughs) but it's just so difficult to kind of step outside of your 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 everyday language and it really is like a cross-cultural communication with mm-hmm. with a language barrier. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to describe the nuances of it. And it's so alienating to all of science that it's very frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I mean, I could go on for years <laughs> about science communication. I'm not good at it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm not good at it. So you should take oh you're you're full of music credits. I, music and science credits. I've got so much physics next semester. I can't take really? anything else. Yeah. Cuz I've got um senior lab plasma and nuclear and my thesis. So that's already like 12 credits. Well, I don't really count the thesis. Oh. Cuz it's so much background work. Uh, not for me. <laughs> well, I no, I get it, but like it's it's different than my yeah my thesis it feels like my real work yeah my my coursework at this point like i'm a senior i'm working on my grad school applications and i'm working on my thesis my homework is not my real work anymore i still do it because it's important for me to learn it just doesn't feel important but it doesn't feel nearly as important as it used to and it's not what i'm passionate about and, like, my, I remember freshman year, sophomore year, I was passionate about my homework. I remember, like, if we got a particularly challenging homework problem, I would be so excited to, like, go work it out on a chalkboard with friends, you know? and Or by myself and then prove to all my friends that I know it and they don't. <laughs> and just, like, yeah, and the way it just sticks on your mind. Yeah. It, like, it, how it, often do you spend a week thinking about the homework yeah for like our advanced quantum class like i don't think about the homework i sit down i do it i learn the material and i turn it in like as quickly as possible so i can spend time doing what i really care about 
Yeah. Which is, thank God, if it had turned out that I wasn't passionate about, like, the research I was doing, like, <laughs> fuck, <laughs> we've gone, we've taken a wrong turn. Um, but, I mean, I think, it doesn't, I don't think it happens too often that, that, oh, I guess we're a little biased. Because most of the people that we communicate with want to be researchers. But there is a side of science that, that wants to go in, into industry, but still loves the science for the science. Yeah. And we just don't know any of them. <laughs> we don't talk to them. And also education to a small extent. Yeah, yeah. The people that want to be physics teachers, science teachers in general. And, like, I feel like it's weird because we can relate to that because we both want to be teachers just in a different context. Like I want to be a physics educator. Yes, absolutely. But I want to do research as well. And so like that immediately puts you in the professor academia box. Whereas the people who want to be high school science teachers, I feel like I never meet them. They must be in our classes because they're still physics majors. But where are they? Who are they? I don't know. I know there are some. I've heard tell <laughs> of, of the high school teacher educator people that are in the five-year like master's program for that. But I don't know where they are. I haven't met them. It's a mystery. It's weird. We we really do sort ourselves into like the the research people and the everyone else. <laughs> the normal jobs and the not so normal jobs. Yeah. The people who are going to be in academia literally forever. Yeah. <laughs> and the ones that are leaving as soon as they can. Uh, Do you think if you went back to your kindergarten self and you, you know, if you could set yourself down and be like, hey, you're going to be in school for the rest of your life until you retire. You literally and want possibly to be since, Or possibly after that. And you're going to enjoy it. I always liked school, though. Yeah. We're those kind of kids. Oh, uh, we were those kinds of kids, weren't yeah, we? Yeah, I look forward to the first day of school literally every year. Every semester, I look forward to it. I'm like a little kid. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so excited for school. <laughs> you I nerd. can't wait. And like, I get so bored over breaks that I just work during them. Like, even when I wasn't, like, obviously in college, I've done research over all my breaks. But even when I was in, like, like in middle school high school over breaks i get so bored i give myself projects i give myself like homework i'd learn languages i'd invent codes i like make i do sewing projects i'd invent patterns for things and i do all this shit because i was so bored yeah and another thing that kind of harkens back to being relatable to <laughs> normal people is that academics and research is such a take-home 24-7 job mm. that, like... It stays with you, yeah. Yeah, I'll be, like, out with my family all day, and we'll come back, we'll be eating dinner, and then I'll go grab my laptop and, like, start working. And they'll just be like, what are you doing? Yeah, you don't you don't leave it in the office at no, all. It follows you everywhere it you go. It follows you everywhere. I So many times I've, like, been out grocery shopping, and then I've realized a solution to a problem I've been having. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, I'll be waiting I gotta... in line and I'll pull up my phone and like check how my simulation's doing. Yeah. Um, like keeping a mental note, like as soon as I get home, I gotta type that up before I forget and like yeah. all this stuff. I've got such a myriad of like 
pictures and notes and like texts I've sent to myself. <laughs> just try to remember what to do. It's it's so messy, but it's just it's like a cloud. Yeah, it sticks with you, and I think that's the sign of something you're really honestly passionate about. Which yeah. I think is kind of the best thing about science. Like, we're academia is great at filtering out the people who aren't actually passionate about their work. Like, you don't find people who have gone through their PhD and still don't don't really care. Like, people don't don't get pushed by their families through a PhD in science. Like except for in medicine it seems to be the only place it really happens which is is science adjacent but it's not really what what we focus on because it's it's just such an ordeal Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's not a guaranteed money maker like you can you can get a phd in in a science and make dirt (laughs) as an adjunct professor for years like Mm -hmm. and it costs so much but what that means is that the people are who who choose that and who are left are the ones who really give a shit and who stay up at night thinking about their work and do all this cool shit. It's so cool. Wow. Did you know I like science? <laughs> I really like it. Wow, who would have thought? Who would have thought who I would've like thought? physics? Damn. But it's so good. <laughs> science would recommend. Yeah, 10 out of 10. Well, they're a problem. Not enough ten. <laughs> Can't communicate to family. <laughs> Not uh, enough ten. Eight out of ten keeps you up at night. <laughs> no work life balance. Ooh. Seven out of ten. <laughs> work life balance? You mean work and survival balance? Yeah. Oh. One day I'll get some work life balance. Like, granted, some of your brain space is always dedicated to your research. It's just always go- it's running. Mm-hmm. It's like a little mini processor running in parallel to your regular brain function. It's just it's just always going. Yeah. It's, it's always working on some random aspect of your work. Yep. But I'm, I'm, I'm working on kind of taking some more separate time for me. And you almost start to feel guilty for doing that. I know, because there's always people that will not do that. Yeah. And it's problematic. It's it's something we should probably talk about in another episode is is kind of the it's it's like a crunch crisis for for scientists cuz there's no expectation for a 40-hour work week in in academia. You're like some professors manage it just if they try, but especially as a a young person when you're in grad school or in undergrad or a postdoc you're not expected to be in there for 40 hours a week you're expected to be in there for like 100 hours a week because that's that's what you're there for and it almost feels like you're always on call yeah like i'll get a slack message from my advisor asking something about my project at like 9 30 yeah and i'll drop everything yeah literally i i drop everything for an email from my research advisor and i'm like okay yeah let's do this like i missed an exam two weeks ago in another class to go to a lunch meeting for research like it it takes precedence over everything in your life mm-hmm. and i'm i'm curious to see as we become more like capital a adults like what will trump research like at some point like probably our health <laughs> maybe maybe our family but like maybe <laughs> if anyone relationships who knows <laughs> we'll see <laughs> 
it's like your wedding day and you get a slack message halfway through mm, the, the ceremony like oh shit wait let me, me pull that laptop to anyone fix have a code? laptop yeah. does anyone have a linux machine <laughs> can i ssh into my lab computer real quick from my phone <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you just put a terminal onto your phone yeah. so that you can remote access uh, your research what is it called does that scare you at all <laughs> termux it's called because there's even less reason to not be working. Well, it does have uh, some slight barrier to entry. In that Today's in word order of the episode it, is a barrier to entry. In order to use it, you have to start Ubuntu manually, which means you have to type dot slash start dash Ubuntu dot sh. That's nothing, though. Which, like, to me is so much upfront effort <laughs> that, that it's just that not will worth keep you it. From that will keep it? me from doing it and I'll just be like I'll do it later. Yeah, I guess Bash RFC wouldn't I wonder how that would work. Huh. Cuz like on on a on a Linux machine and I assume on any yeah. any machine, but on a Linux machine, you have your your Bash RC which is a hidden file that runs on startup. Yeah. So whenever you turn on your computer, it's the first thing to run. And like uh, the same when you when you open your your like terminal in your little Linux subsystem for Windows that you've got going, mm-hmm. but um, your Bash RC is what defines all in a lot of ways how your computer runs. And so, I guess for whatever reason, the one on your phone because it's an app and not like the computer of your phone, it's it doesn't have that kind of rights. But I'm surprised they don't have a, a code written into the app. That just auto runs that file. It may. I haven't done much delving into it, and I'm such a selectively lazy person <laughs> that I may not be the right person to speak about this. Uh, yeah, I'm the kind of person that would figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> like precisely, that's the kind of person I am, where I do like several hours of of research into weird parts of the internet until I know precisely how to fix that problem. Mm. But I will not. Maybe you could fix it for me. Not for you. If I wanted it. <laughs> I don't want it. I have my Linux machines. I'm fine. I don't think I need to access them from my phone. But then you'll never be away. You'll never have an excuse to get away from your Linux machines and research. Now that How's you're... that? Well, if it's on your phone. Oh, so, like physically just step away from it? <laughs> <laughs> no. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like my machines. They're alright. They're alright. They do work it's, for us. It's the kind of thing of like not doing work homework in bed. Like you need at least some separation of work time and like life time. And so like right now my, my desk is under my bed but because my bed is lofted I don't like bring my laptop up there and so I can't like really don't do work in bed and i think it has helped me sleep better that's good because i used i used to sit in bed and do homework all the time it's it's not something i do anymore and i have been sleeping better i don't know there are many other reasons it could be it's not a controlled study Mm -hmm. can't speak for the statistical significance of of that uh conclusion but right having separation of work and anything else other than work is important so i don't really want a terminal on my phone because then I never have an excuse to not be working. 
So that's my conclusion. I understand that. <laughs> it's it's the healthy option. Yeah. <laughs> but is it the most productive option? The most productive option is that the entire time we were speaking, I could have been on the Google Docs app on my phone writing my personal statements. <laughs> Yeah, we were really going to talk about uh, grad school applications this week because ours are both, we have a chunk of them due this weekend. When when I post this episode, I will have submitted like five graduate school applications, which is horrifying. Terrible. Don't like that. So that's what we were going to talk about this week. Mm, but We can talk about it next week. We'll talk about it after, after the fact. Submitted. But... Like, damn, I have just been thinking about grad school apps this week, and I would like to think about anything else. So this episode is testament to that. Yeah, and it's hard because it's finals week. And in every other year before this, mm -hmm. finals week has been my entire mind focused on the final. Yeah. But now my entire mind is focused on these applications. There's no room for it. I think about my, <laughs> my final, final, I'm like, eh. Yeah, I'm putting off really studying for my final until essentially Monday. Yeah. Because our final is on Wednesday. And that's, like, rough. Yeah. I would have liked to spend a lot more time on it, but obviously getting into graduate school is really so important. <laughs> a little more important than getting an A or an A- minus in, in quantum mechanics. So, it's just a matter of perspective. Priorities. Yeah. Priorities, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. It is weird. This is our first finals week where we're really not thinking about finals. Like, it's the last thing on my mind right now. First thing, grad school. Second thing, I'm a little hungry. <laughs> I was going to say thesis. Uh, yeah. But upon second thought, <laughs> nurturing yourself yeah. might come before that. Um, I could use, could use a glass of water, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, no, actually, it is right now, like, after my meeting today, my, my research is, like, more on my mind. So it's probably, like, I, I'd probably rank it, like, grad school thirst research, but, like, thirst and research are really close right now. Yeah, because you just have a thirst for results. Thirst for data. <laughs> Literally. Uh. <sighs> yeah. So we didn't quite talk about what we meant to this week, but... We talked a lot about science communication, which is sick. Do we want to do another intro? Yeah, we should do another intro. But but we uh, got a, one thing we, we fucked up last week a little bit in that we jumped straight from episode to let's record an intro without it ending the episode. Oh, <laughs> so really? there's literally no like goodbye or anything or like see you next week. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Yeah, there's literally none and it just stops oh, no. <laughs> on like a random thing. It's oh, no. so weird. So, so yes, we should record an intro for this week, but also we should wrap up this episode. Um, plant update. All the plants are looking okay. Um, I I think the fern looks bigger. I think it's just getting more. It's like opened more. But yeah. It looks it looks okay. It's it's got some rough spots, but I think it always will. Um, I have two other ferns for the purpose of gifting right now, and they are just thriving. So I think it's just this fern hates me. 
maybe it's the sub variety because it's a fluffy ruffle fern and it it's like in delicate rambunctious teenager phase uh, yeah i don't know but i have some like uh i think they're boston ferns and they're they're looking great beautiful lovely so my other plants are thriving except for my peace lily don't look at the peace lily it's fine anyway plant corner complete <laughs> um any any updates from the socials this week well you should go check them out <laughs> yeah check us out on instagram and twitter and facebook i guess mm, you don't really have to check us out on facebook don't really check us out facebook is for our parents <laughs> face facebook's not so relevant anymore yeah yeah Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Big things coming. May There's going to be an episode next week. Yeah. But the week after, I assume, we'll be taking off for the holidays. Because the week after is like Christmas oh, yeah. and New Year's. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I know I'm going home for, for about a week. And then I'll be back on campus. Yeah. Living the dream, doing research in January. But um, then we'll be recording remotely for a little while. Mm. which will be interesting and then we'll be back at you with the spring semester it's it's a pretty pretty crazy transitory time right now things are moving very quickly things are moving very quickly and i'm very not at all stressed about it it's fine everything's fine we're just gonna go it's gonna be january and then it's gonna be 2020 already and the decade's over and like whatever maybe we'll get into grad school maybe not we'll see mm-hmm. it's fine <laughs> fingers crossed yeah so um stay tuned we'll be some some Maybe some holiday content. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, but regardless, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs>